Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra $0.25 a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a $0.25 a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. But I remember having a conversation with Coach Graham at the end of that fall. I threw my last bullpen before we head home for Christmas break. And uh, I said, Coach, what do I need to do to, uh, to have a chance to start for you? And he said, you're going to have to tighten up your curveball. He said, you know, right now you've got a high school curveball. Welcome into another episode of Baseball America's From Phenom to the Farm. I'm your host, Kyle Banduho. Today we're joined by the third overall pick in the 2004 draft and the man who threw the 21st perfect game in MLB history, Philip Umber. Philip was part of that monster Rice rotation. It was him, Jeff Neiman, and Wade Townsend, all three top 10 picks who led Rice to the 2003 national title. We talk his time at Rice playing for legendary coach Wayne Graham and pitching in a national title clinching game. We also talk his professional run. Philip had TJ pretty early on, and we talk about never having his stuff come all the way back, the kind of mental grind that is and not being able to reach back for what you used to have. And yes, we're also going to talk about being one of the few men on the planet who ever threw a perfect game. Episodes of Rafina of the Farm drop every other Tuesday. If you enjoy this one, subscribe wherever you get your podcast and go check out past interviews. And if you haven't yet, leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Also, make sure you subscribe to BaseballAmerica.com and the BA Podcast feed for all amateur baseball and prospect news. We've got college baseball, spring training, the draft starting to heat up. It is just great times over at BA. Really just a prime time over at the main feed. And with that, let's talk to Philip Umber. All right, joining in for today's episode of From Phenom to the Farm, he was a first-round pick of the Mets in the 2004 draft out of Rice University, former big league right-hander and national champion Philip Umber. Phil, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Thanks for having me. Of course. I've been looking forward to this, looking uh, forward to talking to 03 Rice for, for quite a while since we came <laughs> this. So, yeah. Uh, start off with the question I give everyone. When did you first realize you had a feature at the next level in baseball, whether that be college or uh, pro ball? Um, pr- probably later than some, you know, I, I, uh, always enjoyed playing baseball when I was, when I was young. Um, you know, my son's nine and, uh, he's, he's into baseball now. And, um, so it kind of brings back some of those memories, but the reason I was playing at that time was, um, just because it's something my friends did. I grew up in a really small town. There wasn't a whole lot else to do outside of, uh, you know, fishing, hunting and, and throwing a ball around. So that's pretty much what we did. And, um, you know, just enjoyed it. We were very competitive, um, and, uh, we're fortunate to have some, some good coaches, even in, 
you know, youth baseball, we had a lot of good people around us that, that knew how to teach the game the right way, but I was not a, a standout uh, ball player um, that, you know, in a way that, you know, probably people thought I was going to go play college or professional baseball, probably until I was, you know, on into high school. Um, I was I always had a good arm or, you know, but um, I, I never thought of myself that way. Um, you know, like I said, until I could kind of tell that I was a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger and was, was throwing the ball a little bit harder than, than the people I was around. And then when we started playing, you know, better competition and, you know, uh, played a, a couple of summers in Dallas. And, and so got, got to be around some of that. Um, that's kind of when I started, you know, getting the idea that maybe I have a chance to, to do something like that. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. When did you first meet Wayne Graham? Hmm. I guess I met him. Um, it would have been my... I'm trying to think. It's been a long time ago now. Um, I guess it would have been my, my junior year of high school. Um and uh, it was probably just on a, a, a not necessarily a visit, but uh, we're playing, a, I think, a summer ball tournament down there in, in Houston. And um, so I had a chance to uh, to meet him. And, um, you know, Rice was obviously already a, a very uh, respected program. Um, this was, I guess, 2000, 2001 ish. Um, and um, so, yeah, I mean, I uh, definitely knew uh knew a lot about uh the program at that point um but my first introduction to rice and i might have met him at this point was um in like in 1994 uh so probably was his first year there maybe second year um 94 95 ish we had a, a guy from my hometown in carthage that was a shortstop at university of texas and um uh i was really good friends with his uh his little cousin and so we got to go bat boy for the Longhorns when they were playing at Rice and uh, at the old Cameron Field and and uh, so I probably ran ran across him at that time but he was um, probably wasn't paying a whole lot of attention to a to a little twelve year old kid. <laughs> so you probably got some pictures from back in the day and probably Orange. so yeah I definitely do <laughs> yeah I, I definitely uh, uh, was on was on the the t shirt uh, team for for uh, for the Longhorns. Well, on that subject, kind of where you where you were at in East Texas, as far as a a good geography to find a college baseball program that's a reasonable drive, it's it's about as enviable a position as it can get. You've got, uh, you know, you've got Rice and Houston to the you know, couple hour drive away. Same with UT, mm-hmm. uh, T, TCU's close, Arkansas, LSU. I mean, why why Rice? Really, any kind of any kind of school. And any kind of grade hmm. profile that you needed, you you went to hang out with the nerds. Yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> and then probably uh, probably didn't didn't qualify <laughs> in some ways. But um, I think at first I wanted to go to Baylor for some reason. Um, I had kind of narrowed it down to that, and maybe because it was, you know, Waco felt a little bit closer to home. Um, I'm uh, you know small town kid, and and I think I probably would have been a little bit intimidated, 
you know, going to Austin, um, you know, big, big school like that in a big city. Um, but yeah, I always grew up rooting for the Longhorns, uh, was not an Aggie. Uh, I ended up marrying uh, an Aggie. So I have nothing against the Aggies at this point. But um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I had kind of my heart set on Baylor. And uh, at the when it came down to it, um, Rice um, expressed uh, their interest a little stronger in the way of, you know, scholarship money. And uh, that was important to me. I didn't want my, my parents to have to go into debt to put me through school. And, um, you know, I thought it was a, a good place for me to go and, and develop. The main thing I wanted to do if I was going to go to a division one school is I wanted to have a chance to pitch, uh, as a freshman, I didn't want to, you know, sit around and watch the other guys play. I wanted to, to go somewhere where I was at least going to be given an, an opportunity to compete for a spot, uh, you know, in the, in the weekend rotation. And, and that's, that's what coach Graham he didn't, he didn't promise me a lot, but he definitely promised me a, a chance to compete. And um, so that's that's what I, you know, really wanted to go do, there and do. When he's recruiting you like that, how much was he telling you about your your fellow recruits? Because you're a part of arguably the most important freshman class in Rice history, especially on the mound. And you guys would eventually form this big three. But when your your main goal is to pitch as a freshman, what did he tell you about these are the guys that are coming in and one of them is a literal giant. <laughs> well, well, not a lot, honestly. Um, you know, when, when I went down there for my visit, it was, it was really just coach Graham kind of, you know, he, he kind of has this way about him where uh, pretty much every conversation you have is a, is a lesson in baseball in some way. And so uh, it wasn't a whole lot about, you know, here are the guys you're going to be competing with. And um, you know, or, or th these are the guys that we have signed up. Um, it was, it was more about, you know, what, what the opportunity was for, for me and, and where he saw, uh, the program, uh, going. And that was, you know, winning, winning a national championship. And, um, the only person that I had really, um, been around a lot before I got to Rice was Paul Yanish. And, and at the time I was around him was, a as, a, 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 a state, uh, all-star, uh, game after uh, after our senior year so during that summer between high school and college uh, he and I played on the same team in an all-star game um, and he was actually had been recruited to Rice as a pitcher and I played catch with him at the all-star game and I'm thinking man this guy's got a really live arm uh, I'm gonna have to compete with him well he, it turns out he ended up being our shortstop and uh, making plays behind us, uh, the three of us, you know, and the rest of the guys for, for those three years. And, um, but as far as Jeff and Wade, um, I had never heard of them. Uh, you know, the Jeff was a Houston guy and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in Northeast Texas. Wade was, you know, from the Austin area. Um, and so we had never really crossed paths, um, in summer ball. We'd never crossed paths for sure. And, um, you know, for our high schools, and uh, so really, you know, we all came, it was a pretty big class, not just freshmen, but also some, some JUCO transfers. And so I remember that first day, everyone's kind of, you know, sizing each other up and, um, you know, kind of feeling, feeling each other out a little bit. But at the same time, um, you know, I don't think we were competing with each other as much as we were trying to make sure that we belonged on the team. Um, they had a lot of returning veterans that, you know, that they had already you know, pretty much established themselves as, like I said, a, a national contender. And uh, so you just hope that you have uh, at some point a, a, a role on that team. 
Did you, you got drafted in the 29th round, but that was back in the day when, you know, mm-hmm. no, no hard slots, anything like that. What, what made you prioritize college? Did you give any thought to the pro ranks? Definitely did. I think, uh, probably is a, is a, a blessing that I did not end up going to professional ball right out of high school. I don't think I was, did you have a number as far as signing bonus? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, a kid like me, I, I didn't come from money and I didn't, I didn't know much about how finances worked, honestly. And, and so you think a million dollars where you're, you're going to be set for life. So if I, if they would have thrown a million dollars at me, I'm sure I would have taken it. And, uh, it would have been a pretty bad decision. Cause I, like I said, I, I don't think I was, I was mature enough to, to handle being on the road by myself and, you know, kind of having to, um, to, kind of do life like that at that point I think I needed uh those years in college to kind of get me ready for for being a professional anything uh let alone a baseball player so um but yeah I mean the, the Yankees uh, they did you know make an effort toward the end of the summer to to try to sign me and um at that time it was back in the day where you could do a draft and follow um which which would have meant you know they they wanted me to go to a junior college and pitch there for a year and and see how I developed and and they would still have my rights up until the next draft. And so I actually did end up signing, uh, with, with Galveston, uh, junior college. Um, you know, that, that was kind of during the spring of my senior year. I, I, uh, you know, was committed to rice already, but, uh, the guy that recruited me, John Prather, uh, was also the pitching coach at rice and he ended up leaving rice, um, after I'd signed there and, and went into the business world. And so I was a little bit kind of a little bit shook by that, I guess, in a way, because he was the guy I communicated with the most. And um, so a little bit of, you know, signing with Galveston was just kind of a way to, to hedge my bets a little bit. And then also, um, you know, with the draft and follow deal, um, thought that might be a route I might want to take. And so just kind of covering all the bases. But like I said, by the end of that summer, um, you know, having kind of traveled around, you know, we ended up playing in Farmington, New Mexico for the Connie Mack World Series. And and I played, a, you know, in the Tournament of Stars, which I don't even know if they still have it anymore, but that was kind of the uh, big tournament back in the summer there. So I was around a lot of the guys I actually ended up playing against in college and playing with even. But um, so it exposed me to a little bit more. And I was like, you know, I, I really want to go to this college thing and, and have a chance to play in Omaha. And and, um, you know, I had a, a better feeling about wanting to go to Rice than I did, you know, get on a bus and, and go to, you know, Staten Island or, you know, wherever I would have gone, uh, you know, with the Yankees. I've also heard the beach workouts at Galveston Junior College are brutal. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and I don't, I'm not sure if it's the best place to pitch after, you know, that the, the, it's a pretty short porch and, and the wind tends to, to – to blow out is, is what I heard after I ended up signing there. So maybe it's a good, a good thing all the way around. Confidence killer. So yeah. I guess speaking of potential confidence killer, at least something where you have to have some faith in yourself that first fall, you know, you mentioned you're not, you know, competing against these guys per se, but you're throwing bullpens next to Neiman and Townsend. Um, they're, you know, they're similar talent levels to you. You guys are fighting to be those, you know, freshmen in the spots when you're, you know, you had to have compared yourself to them or at least thought about how you stacked up, especially, and the, you know, obviously the, the veteran arms that came in and stuff too. How did you feel, you know, heading into that first year as far as how you stacked up talent wise to that team? 
Yeah, so I think uh, really what I was comparing myself to was was more of the the guys that had been there. And, um, you know, Stephen Hurst was one and, and uh, Justin Crowder, he, he transferred in. But, uh, you know, there was there were other guys there um, that, uh, you know, senior, junior type guys that, um, you know, the first couple of weeks, it was a little bit of, you know, making sure that that the young guys, you know, got in line and did what they were supposed to do. But once you showed them that you were committed to, you know, being a team player, um, you know, I remember getting a, a, a lot of uh, good advice from those guys and, and just how to, you know, handle, um, you know, your studies and, and practice and, and, and how to be a part of the team, how to carry yourself. Um, and then even just some tips I got, I'm, you know, a guy named uh, Bubba Gentry is the one that taught me my, my split finger fastball, which, um, you know, got me a lot of outs in college. And um, so I don't, honestly, I don't remember comparing myself a lot to Jeff and Wade in particular. Uh, I do think that we were competitive, uh, but that, that went for pretty much everybody on, on that team. Uh, you had a bunch of guys that, you know, if, if you're able to get into a school like Rice, which um, is is a very rigorous, uh, you know, like I said, ed- education part of it. And then also you're playing on a, a, a team that uh, expects to go to Omaha. Um, you're going to have a bunch of competitive athletes around you. And um, and so we, we did push each other. Um, but I, I don't remember. Um, I don't remember us, like I said, in particular, like, you know, I'm, I'm going for that Saturday spot or I'm going for that, you know, whatever. Uh, it was more just a matter of, I'm just trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to make sure that, that uh, I uh, earn my keep on this team and um, you know, going through that fall um, you know, coach Graham kind of uh, the way that he coached um, you know, you, you were mostly worried about living up to his, standard uh rather than you know am i doing better than this guy or that guy uh you're tr- you're just trying not to uh do something that that catches his attention in a, in a negative way and uh trying to trying to make sure that you kind of keep your head down and, and uh are doing doing what he's told you to do and making sure you're paying attention all those things um but yeah i mean i i do remember one thing in particular and that that happened that that fall, you know, where you're kind of, it's kind of a tryout, I guess, all over again. But I remember having a conversation with coach Graham at the end of that fall, I threw my last bullpen before we head home for Christmas break. And uh, I said, coach, what do I need to do to, uh, to have a chance to start for you? And he said, you're going to have to tighten up your curveball. He said, you know, right now you're, you've got a high school curveball. And I, I thought I had a really good curveball because it broke really big and, you know, and, uh, but the problem with it was it was too slow. And, uh, and it popped up out of my hand and, you know, he talked me through that and he was like, if that's what, you know, if you want to be in the rotation, you've got to have three pitches that, that you can get people out with that you can throw for strikes. And so I went home over that break and, um, I got it, you know, I would go to the batting cage, you know, in, in my hometown and, uh, have a bucket of balls. And I mean, I threw curve balls, you know, for hours, um, tightening that thing up, throwing it as hard as I can, throwing it straight down into the bucket, you know, and I came back, uh, you know, I remember throwing my first, uh, uh, bullpen, um, you know, when we got back from break and I was so excited to show that off and I'm like, okay, I've got this. Um, and then he did, he ended up giving me an opportunity to start and, um, you know, I, I, I didn't let go of it. So, uh, but like I said, Jeff and Wade, I think 
we, we were similar in a lot of ways. I was probably, um, looking back, you know, when I came in as a freshman, I was probably a little bit more polished than those guys were. Um, Wade was, you know, just, you could tell, uh, he, he was, I think younger than, than his class, you know, as far as, you know, his, I think had an early birthday or, or late birthday, however you say that, but, um, he had a little bit of physical maturing to do. Um, but you could see like just the build he had, he was going to be a very powerful type pitcher. Um, and he was a tremendous competitor from, from get go, uh, his control, you know, would kind of come and go early on as a freshman. Uh, and Jeff, you know, he, we could all see, like, if he gets that, that body, um, all working together, um, you know, he's going to be, you know, something like Randy Johnson. I mean, he was just so big and, um, you know, was a tremendous competitor and he was a great athlete, you know, a great basketball player. And, you know, I remember playing pickup games with those guys and, um, but, you know, uh, we didn't know what it was going to end up being, you know, like I said, all of us were just trying to um, get in the lineup some way. Um, and like I said, I was probably ready earlier than, than those guys were, uh, but it didn't take them long to, uh, to come on in. They have all of, I think it's game one or game two of the O three college world series, whichever one Jeff pitched. And he looks like it's like uh, in the little league world series, when mm-hmm. there's, there's that kid who's like six foot five and all the other kids. That's what it looks like. But yep. I encourage everyone to go watch a great game. Yep. Uh, but um, I found an article from the Houston Chronicle from that spring, 2002, about the first time you pitched it at, uh, at Reckling and the alumni game. Do you mm-hmm. recall how that went? Yes, yes, it it it, it went really well for uh, for for the hitters I faced, and not so not so well for me. So I, I think it was really entertaining because most people that come out to an alumni game are are there to see their heroes and not necessarily see the the freshman pitcher uh, who's 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 trying his guts out to 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 make the team. But um, yeah, uh, so I think the first. The first batter I faced, I may have struck out, and I don't remember who that was. Um, uh, but then Jose Cruz Jr. comes up, and and I yeah, I think I got two strikes on him, and decided I wanted to throw uh, a change up, and uh, uh, he he was not fooled, and and he almost knocked the the center field fence down, and uh, so then I was like, okay, well that that's that's a big leaguer. I'll tip my hat to him, but here comes Lance Berkman. I think I get two strikes on him and I'm going to try the change up again. And that one ended up on the other side of, uh, of university Boulevard in someone's <laughs> yard. And so it didn't go well. Um, and I was pretty disappointed about it. And, and those guys don't forget, man. Um, I, I saw, you know, uh, Chato a couple of years ago and, 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 uh, he was the one to bring it up. He didn't forget it. And then, uh, Lance, I played against Lance, uh, uh, when he was with the Rangers and, and he brought it up, he's like, I'm, I'm really hoping you, you throw that change up today. So, yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> it, it was not a great experience for me, but it was, I think that was the last change up I threw uh, in college. I ended up, like I mentioned earlier, going to that split finger fastball. So it may have been a, a blessing in disguise to show me that my change up wasn't, wasn't quite ready for, for prime time. Well, now, anytime you go back to rice to, uh, to catch a game, you've got, the head coach going to be able to remind you about that. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Might have to steer clear of him. Mm-hmm. Your, your freshman year, you do get in the rotation, um, have a great year. You win 11 games, but you had a long run 
Like I, I was, sh- it, you hit the rotation early. You don't stop pitching until August in Italy. What was more of a grind? Your first, your first full professional season, or that first season in in college ball where it's that first real run on your arm? Yeah, I never had thought about that uh, when you said something about August. I'm like, what's he talking about? Yeah, that's true. I did. Um, we we pitched our, our uh, we played all the way through Omaha, and then I went and tried out for the the USA team and and made that and and yeah, we hit the road. So it was a grind. That was probably more of a grind than really anything I did after that, really, because it was basically a road trip for. 50, 60 days, you know, whenever we started in, in June until we basically, basically I got home and I had a, like a week off and then went back to school. So, um, yeah, we didn't have, there was no home games, you know, like we're traveling literally every, every day to another stop. And, um, I guess like kind of like back in the day when, the, you know, they would have the barnstorming tours or whatever with, you know, the old timers, but yeah. And, and not, not to mention we flew, uh, you know, we played a tournament in Amsterdam and then we went uh, in Italy. And really, when we got to Italy, that was the longest we stayed anywhere. And that was maybe two weeks. So, yeah, it was a lot of throwing. Um, you know, they tr- they treated us well, though. I don't think that, that any of us got abused um, on that team. I think the longest I probably pitched in any game was six or seven innings. So um, we had a lot of good good arms and good players on that team and, and a lot of good memories from that. But yeah, that was, that was probably a big, um, a big step up from what I had been used to uh, definitely, you know, in high school before that. Well, kind of on that subject, Wayne Graham catches a lot of heat for, you know, he's kind of like the, the pre pitch count days. He is the, you know, the example of I've got three horses, I'm taking them to Omaha and it worked mm-hmm. out you guys, but you, you know, you threw a ton of innings, um, you know, I think, I think I saw it was either you or Jeff through 128 innings, which now, you know, guys who guys, their first like four pro seasons aren't getting that much. What kind of in retrospect, you know, was it when you hopped on the mound, you were wanting, expecting to go deep kind of when you, when you see how pitchers are handled now and how you guys had to go about your business or went about your business. I mean, and it paid off with a national championship, something I'm sure you'd never give up. What are your kind of thoughts on? Um, on that kind of, you know, the starter going deep culture. So I, I don't have any, um, I, I, I don't think that anything I did at Rice, um, maybe aside from the last weekend I pitched there, um, was, was ill-advised. So I, I think that, um, we, uh, we were all, physically prepared, uh, to pitch. I don't think, uh, any of us felt any pressure to go pitch when we were hurting. Um, in fact, there, there was a couple of times that I can remember that I got pushed back because, you know, coach Graham was wanting to take care of, you know, our arms and, um, you know, for the most part, we had six days to recover from, from each time that we pitched. Um, and uh, there were very few times, if any, for me personally, and I don't know the other guys, uh, where I went much past 110 or 115 pitches ever. I don't remember just sitting out there throwing. The reason that we threw a lot of innings is because we were um, 
we were dominating a lot of games. So it wasn't like we were just throwing out, going out there, just try to soak up innings. Uh, we, you know, we were pretty efficient with, with what we were doing uh, because if we weren't, we weren't going to get to the opportunity to do it. And um, so I've heard that before. And I think um, I disagree with it. You know, there's, um, I don't think anybody, anybody knows if, if, if someone knew the exact reason why people or you know, pitchers get hurt, um, then pitchers wouldn't get hurt anymore. Um, I think the act of pitching is not natural. It's something that's going to be hard on anybody's arm. And even the fact that they're, you know, really watching these pitch counts and really, um, you know, at this point, you know, hardly anybody flips the lineup three times, you know, in pro ball, um, you're still having guys, you know, wind up with the same type of injuries. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I have never said anything like that. I don't know where a lot of that comes from outside of just, oh, well, this guy got hurt and that guy got hurt and the other guy got hurt. Um, but some of it has, you know, I think the fact that we were all first round picks and had a lot of expectations of what we were going to do professionally and it didn't work out the way that a lot of people expected it to then you got to have somebody to blame that's just the nature of you know sports it's the nature of our culture in general you know we got to find a person to point the finger at and you know coach Graham is an easy target because he is older and so people look at him like he's old school um, when he actually probably is more um, and even at that time was, was more advanced in understanding a lot of the analytics, um, than people even recognize. I mean, he, he was reading Bill James, you know, back then and even before that. And, uh, so, uh, he wasn't just an old school guy that was just going to the whip and, Hey, you guys get out there. I don't care what you're, you know, how you feel, you know, we got to have you. It wasn't like that. Um, and I think anybody that, pitch there would would tell you the same thing he 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 wouldn't he he wasn't that type of a guy so that 03 team like you mentioned you guys had gone to Omaha the year before so you're returning a bunch of guys who have who have gone almost the entire way um you know you've got the three-headed monster in the rotation now you Neiman Townsend plus David Arzma is closing just ridiculous pitching staff the feeling around that team when you're starting that season because you've already been to Omaha is it, is it like natty or bust? Like if you got, you know, like does, does winning the whack matter? Does getting the national seed matter? Is it like, if we don't get back and win it, is this a disappointment? I think that we all knew, um, you know, like you said, we went there and honestly that O2 team might've been as talented, if not more than the O3 team um, from a lineup standpoint. Uh, and we actually had, you know, you for, people forget, like, in order to get to Omaha that year, I didn't pitch in the Super Regional, neither did Jeff, neither did Wade, because we had Stephen Hurst and Justin Crowder go out and throw complete game shutouts back to back against LSU. So we had some decent pitching that year as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, we came back the next year and, and a lot of those, you know, freshmen now were sophomores. And um, we did feel like we got there and you know, didn't, uh, didn't perform the way that we wanted to. And uh, so obviously you have a little bit of a chip on your shoulder and, 
the fact that Texas won it um, probably added to that because they were kind of our rivalry at the time. And uh, I think in 02, they beat us every time we played them. And uh, so that was one thing we knew that in order to, to get over the hump, we we're going to have to beat Texas. Um, we were going to have to win our conference and we needed a national seed because we knew if we hosted, um, you know, the regional and, and the super regional, that was going to give us our best shot um, at, at, at getting back to Omaha. And we thought if we got back there um, with the pitching and defense that we had, um, we were going to have a really good chance to win. Um, but you don't start from game one thinking we're going to win a national championship. You start from game one thinking we got to do the things uh, that we know we have to do. We got to play the game the right way. We got to, you know, play as a team. Um, and we got to do this every day. And so by the time we look up in May or June, um, we have the team that we want to have. So you talk about like David Arzma. Um, Arzma wasn't the dominant reliever that everyone saw in Omaha um, when we started the season in, in February. You know, he had transferred in from Penn State. He had a great arm. Um, but he had to make some adjustments to get to where he was that dominant closer. And he did that same thing with Jeff and Wade the year before, you know, Jeff started a few games, um, but you know, they were all kind of midweek games and, you know, he, he ended up at the, by the end of the season, you know, he was pitching, you know, uh, starting game, a game in the regional tournament and, uh, and then Wade, um, you know, he mostly relieved the year before. And so, you know, they it took them some time to build up their innings and, and you know Wade started pitching in the midweek games well that was perfect for his personality I mean he you know he thrived on that adrenaline and um and so when we played Baylor or Texas or A&M you know Wade's going out there at U of H you know he's going out there um and pitching those games me and Jeff you know we're pitching the conference games but you could just see the growth you know week by week and then yeah I mean we started competing with each other pushing each other. Um, and by the time, you know, we got, uh, into, uh, you know, the, the regional tournament and, um, you know, super regionals, I mean, Jeff and Wade were probably pitching better than I was at that time. Um, and, uh, and our team was just playing so well, um, that we knew like we, we were going to, we were going to have a really good, good opportunity. You mentioned wanting to get that national seed, so you know, guaranteed to host the regional, host a super. You, you guys blow through your regional. Your super is U of H is who mm -hmm. you're playing. Mm -hmm. Does that take away the the home field advantage a little bit? Same city team? Um, no, because you know we're we're so used to being at Reckling Park. You know, we'd played U of H a bunch, and so there wasn't any surprises. Um, and they had a, such a good team. Uh, they had, you know, Brad Sullivan. That was, uh, he was actually my roommate the year, the summer before on USA team and um, great pitcher. And uh, they had uh, Ryan Wagner, who, who might be the greatest, you know, college reliever of all time. I mean, I, I've never seen anybody as dominant as that guy was. Um, he basically went straight from U of H to, um, to the big leagues. I mean, he was pitching in Cincinnati like a month later. Um, and so, and they had a bunch of good, good hitters, guys that played in the big leagues. Um, so we knew it was going to be tough. And, you know, I started the first game, um, ended up, you know, giving up a, a three run Homer. Um, and we lost, I don't know, five to two, something like that. But, um, you know, Jeff and Wade both came out and, and, and pitched great games. We had to have a lot of clutch hits. 
and a lot of good defensive plays um, to, to be able to beat them. And a lot of us said after that series was over, if, if they would have beaten us, we felt like they were going to be the team to beat in Omaha. So I, you know, getting over that hump was huge, but yeah, having it at Reckling Park instead of uh, over at their place definitely gave us, uh, we would rather be at home for sure than, than having to go across town. Well, that you guys do beat Houston to go to the college world series and it's like blue blood central. You've got five teams that had won a college world series before uh, Fullerton, LSU, Miami, uh, Stanford and Texas. You've got South Carolina that has last year's runner up. Uh, you guys have been there. And then what is now just known as Missouri state. Was there a team that you didn't want to see? Hmm. I don't, I don't think so. You know, we, we definitely wanted to play Texas, um, you know, just because of what ha- had happened the year before. And then, you know, during the regular season, we felt like we had finally kind of got over that hump and, you know, we wanted them. Um, that was, that was something that, that we wanted a, a chance to, to kind of redeem ourselves. And, and you um, ripped their souls out. Too. Well, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I didn't personally, but yes, our, as a team we did. And, um, yeah, so that was, that was pretty neat to, to get that opportunity, but no, I don't think there was anybody that we we're like, man, we don't, we don't want to, we don't want to face those guys. Cause we just felt like with our pitching depth and we knew that we were going to play really good defense our fielding percentage was stupid, you know, that year, um, we were going to have a chance to win against anybody. And so, um, there wasn't anybody that we were, we were afraid to face. You get to the, the championship series, you're throwing game three, basically the, the college, the college baseball championship game against Stanford. That Stanford team, like I said, that that game game one or game two, whichever game Jeff pitched is on YouTube, and you watch that game, and it's like, oh my god, that guy was on that team. That guy was on that team. That guy just mm-hmm. like, yeah, you know, thousands of big league at bats on that team. Was there a certain guy in that lineup that you specifically? I like, can't let this this guy beat me. I <laughs> mean, there were several, right? So I mean, you had Sam Fold, uh, Danny Putnam, Jed Lowry. Uh, Ryan Garco, uh, Carlos Quentin. I mean, and I think I'm missing John Mayberry. He was all, he was on the bench. Um, Which so is yeah, bonkers. yeah, it's crazy. That guy, went, I mean, that guy went the first round, literally. Yeah. So you had, you know, and and there was several other guys that played in the big leagues on that team as well. But um, you know, I had roomed with uh, or not roomed with. I played with Ryan Garco the year before, and just ridiculous hitter. Um, Carlos Quentin, obviously, but there, there were so many guys, you know, and, and like you said, Jeff pitched a great game against them. We had to have a great play in the field, uh, to, to save that game though. Um, we easily could have lost it. And for me, you know, I'm sitting there watching and I'm thinking we're going to win the first two. This was the first year they had the, the three game series, you know, cause, um, up, up till then and you got to the championship and it was shown on CBS. Well, so um, we win the first game and a lot of our team was like, well, any other year, but, but this year we'd have already been national champions because, uh, you know, this is the first year that that three game set. But, you know, they came back and beat us. But I remember watching batting practice um, and, you know, if you've been to Rosenblatt, the wind can howl out of there pretty good. And the day of the um, – the game three, you know, I'm sitting on the bench watching batting practice and the flags are just, you know, stretched out, uh, blowing out to center field. And those guys are in there just, you know, 
tearing the cover off the ball. And, you know, uh, I remember, you know, talking to our catcher, Justin Ruckty and just being like, nope. Um, I think we, we pitch backwards. Um, you know, we give them a lot of soft stuff early and, and see if they'll get themselves out. And that was kind of our game plan. And, and, um, it really were. And, and that was something Jeff had kind of talked to me about after he pitched against them, you know, they, they kind of jumped on him a little bit early. Um, and they really liked hitting the fastball. Um, and so, you know, the plan of, you know, kind of going off speed early and, and fastball late really, really seemed to work against them. And even a long time later, you know, I was on, uh, I was teammates with, with Carlos Quentin. He brought that up. He was like, you, you guys had those three, three big pitchers out there and, and uh, you guys all ended up being thumbers, you know, <laughs> uh, he was just, you know, he was, he was so uh, surprised that as a team, they were so surprised that we threw so much off speed stuff, but that's what you had to do against those, you know, metal bats with guys like that. So y'all go up by 11 in the sixth mm-hmm. inning, six inning ends. Y'all are up 11 to nothing. Mm-hmm. All American on the mound, virtual certainty that you're going to win pretty much. I mean, never say never in baseball, but, it, it looks pretty good. How do you stay within yourself and kind of keep focus when you're on the mound? You guys are up by 11 because there's something about something to say about intensity leaving a little bit when the situation gets a little less tense, frankly. Yeah. And, and I think it probably did a little bit because like you said, I think that was a six inning where we would go up and it is such a big lead. Um, and I remember going back out there and I fell behind in a couple of counts. And next thing you know, they've got two runs. And that's kind of what kind of it kind of kicked me in the butt a little bit about um, okay, I, I want to be the one that's out here at the end of this game. Um, you know, I knew we had Arjma warming up or whatever, but that was important to me. And so I knew in order for me to do that, that I was going to have to kind of shut things down a little bit. Um, and so you know, just kind of kicked it back into gear. But our team just had a good a good way of staying focused and. Um, you know, we did did some celebrating in the dugout, but it wasn't anything out of control. Um, you know, we just kind of, you know, stayed stayed within ourselves and, and kept trying to do our jobs. And um, you know, that last ball goes to goes to Stansbury at third base, and and then finally you can kind of kind of let loose. And and um, it was just hard to believe because in order to to win a a championship at, at any level. Um, you know, that's competitive. Uh, it takes an incredible amount of focus on each pitch. It's not just game to game, you know, or week to week, each pitch, you're just grinding, um, in, in, in your mentality. And, 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 and it's not just a physical thing, but it's, it's such, it's such a mental thing. And, um, so when you finally, you, you get that, that last out, it's just really hard to even, even imagine what's just happened. Um, because you, you're, you're, you're used to getting ready for the next pitch or the next game. And then there's not one. And uh, so, yeah, it was just a, a really incredible feeling to, to be on the mound and, and have everybody just pouring out of the dugout and, and knowing that, that we did it. And, um, you know, we, we didn't think this way, but I think a lot of people looked at a school like Rice and was like, you know, that's impossible. And, and I didn't know this at the time, but they, you know, they start telling us afterwards, that's the first, team national championship that rice had ever won you know rice is an old school i mean they've been playing athletics for a long time and um you know for us to be the first ones that had done it and we get home 
you know, from, from that. Um, and we pull up to Reckling Park and it seemed like the whole city of Houston was sitting there waiting on us. And uh, that's when it kind of set in like, man, we did something really special. And I think already most of us were thinking we're going to go back and do it again. And um, it was, it was pretty cool. It was a pretty cool uh, team to be a part of. Better, better feeling, better last out feeling that out or the out that came about nine years later in game. We'll talk about in a little bit. Oh, that one for sure. There's no, no doubt because it's, it's such a, I mean, it's something that like, like we talked about before, like you're not necessarily planning on it, but it is your goal. Like that's, that's, if we do the things we're supposed to do, then here's the reward way down the road. And we're all, you know, taking steps to get there. Um, Where's the other deal? You're not planning, you're not planning, you're not planning on that. Years of work versus a couple good hours. Right, right. Exactly. Exactly. So that next year, draft noise, the three of you, was there any sort of arms race of, I want to be the top guy, any, anything internally, even if you guys didn't talk about it, was there anything in you? that's like, I want to be picked before these guys. I don't think so. Um, you know, and, and then also Josh Baker who ended up going the fourth round. We had, we had a lot of good pitching, but anyway, um, the three of us, you know, kind of going into the next year, um, for, if any of us had fallen behind, it was me. And, and, you know, I started off my freshman year, probably ahead of those guys by the end of my sophomore year, they were probably ahead of me. And so I probably had a little bit more of that chip on my shoulder that I had something to prove and, and wanted to, um, you know, uh, get back to at least that level. And, uh, I don't think, um, I don't think we, uh, cared about which pick anybody was, um, and Coach Graham did a really good job of keeping as much of that out of our face as possible, uh, even though, you know, we all knew that it was a possibility for all three of us to go in the first round. Um, he kept the scouts away from us. Um, we had one meeting with scouts, and it was one like a day at the end of the season where he's like, okay, all you scouts, you go up in the press box. I'm going to send them up there one by one. You guys can all ask your questions at the same time, and then that's it. And that really helps. The questions. What was that meeting like? Yeah, it's just general stuff. We're recording during the combine, during like the NFL draft combine, or right after it, and they always ask like the weird things. You know? Yeah, it's it's more about like for baseball. I think it's a little bit different, but like they have a questionnaire that you fill out, which we all did. You know, some of them, some teams have a personality test or whatever. I don't know how, how that stuff works, but um, when we did this particular deal, all it was, was, you know, what are your expectations? You know, where do you see yourself? You know, that sort of thing. And, you know, we are, we knew by that point how to answer those types of questions and we weren't going to make any, you know, mistakes like that. Um, so, you know, there, there was some of that, but I think nowadays it's harder for guys because there's just so much, uh, you know, you got the social media and you have all the different, at that time there was baseball America and pretty much nobody else cared about college baseball. Now there's a lot of, you know, people with, you know, writing stuff and having their opinions and it's hard to stay away from it, you know, and, and not be reading that and letting it kind of get in your head or whatever. So, um, you know, at that time, we didn't have to worry about near as much of that. And uh, really, it was more about we were competing on the field. 
So like if, if Jeff went out and struck out 13 guys, you know, Wade wanted to strike out 14 and I wanted to strike out 15. And, you know, it was like, it was like that. And, and, you know, you, you shut out them. I'm going to, I'm going to shut them out for eight innings, you know, like um, that, that type of competition. And, um, you know, I think it, it really drove all of us to, uh, to be better than, than we would have been otherwise. Do the three of you ever look at like draft rankings or anything in BA or anywhere, like at least pitcher college pitcher rankings and go like, where the hell is old dominion? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I do remember that. Of course, you know, I mean, we, we would see all of that stuff come out and I had met Justin, um, at the, the USA trials, uh, my freshman year, he was there. Um, and I remembered that he had the best arm of, of anybody there. Um, and, um, uh, so yeah, I wasn't surprised when I was seeing seeing his name on stuff, and then obviously Jared Weaver, and um, you know we 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 knew who all, all those guys were, and um, you know we we all wanted to be uh, we wanted to be considered the, the best. That's that's what that's what all competitors want. In those days leading up to the draft, because that's kind of a weird when you we talk about Jared Weaver and Stephen Drew, especially in that draft, those guys kind of they fell. Um, deem deem pretty tough signs, and you got. I mean, you know, you ended up holding out, and just a different draft rules. And the number one pick in that draft, for a lot of reasons, mm-hmm. taken because he was very signable. Um, how did how did those conversations come about? Was that something you just left to your your quote unquote advisor? Um. So yeah, that's that's pretty much how it was handled, and and I think. I, for me personally, had having had a little bit of experience in high school with it, obviously not to the same level, but I just knew not to throw out numbers. Um, and just to, basically my stock response was, you know, I want to be drafted um, according to my ability. And then I want to be compensated fairly according to the position that I'm drafted in. And so I never throughout any numbers or, you know, anything like that, that could be construed as, well, he's asking for way too much or, Hey, you said you would sign for this. So that's what we're offering you. So I stayed away from that. And, uh, you know, basically, you know, just no comment, I guess would be, be about the, 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 the most similar thing to that. With where you were at as a pitcher in that season, you know, you play like, if you play like the NSA football video game, like players just consistently get better, you know, every, every few years on your, your dynasty, you know, a few few points better each year with you know by that point you're already you know you're an all-american you've as a sophomore you've you know you've won the the college world series championship games did you do you feel like you got better as a junior like where you'd already conquered the the sport in a way where were you looking to improve like how did you get better as a junior so i, I definitely got uh much stronger um from my sophomore year to my junior year um I really dedicated myself in the weight room and, and got a lot more explosive. Uh, and some of that has to do with just maturing as a, as a young man. Um, and, uh, and so I, I actually was throwing harder, significantly harder my junior year than I had previously. So that was a big thing for me. And, and I think, um, was uh, something that I intentionally went after. Um, not that it's, you know, some big secret, but, you know, I, I knew that, um, in order for me to, to, uh, to be the type of pitcher I wanted to be and in the type of pitcher that gets drafted really high, you needed that velocity. 
And um, so I already had kind of the control and, and was able to spin the ball and, and change speeds. But um, I really wanted to, uh, to add, you know, some velocity and, and I was able to do that. And I think that's why, you know, I went from kind of maybe at the beginning of that season being looked at like, you know, this guy's a, a very safe, you know, middle of the first round type of guy to, okay, I can see us taking him in the top, you know, 10 picks, you know, you don't get drafted that high usually if you don't have, have some velocity as a right-handed pitcher. Well, you, you know, you get taken third overall by the Mets and then you, you know, you do, you hold out until January. Um, something that doesn't happen anymore draft reasons. What do you, what do you do to keep yourself busy for six or so months? Like how, what, what is that? How does yeah. that process going around when you're like, you're an inch away from yeah. being a millionaire, but it's, that's probably, probably the thing. If I look at my professional career, um, that's, that's the one area that I, that I feel like, um, was, was unfortunate for me. Like I, there, a lot of it was out of my control. You know, the, the Mets drafted me and, um, you know, basically at the time that they drafted me had an interim GM, they were hiring another GM and I was about the 25th priority <laughs> on his <laughs> list of things to get done. Um, and so, um, uh, you know, they, they kind of, I guess, made a half-hearted attempt to sign me before the season ended. You know, I get drafted in June, basically don't hear anything from them until July, um, bring me an offer they knew I wasn't going to accept. And then um, basically didn't hear from them until maybe December, you know, when they wanted to start talking again. And so I didn't know what to do. Um, I did was, you go uh, back to Rice that fall? Like, did you keep taking classes? No, I couldn't. If I'd have done that, then I would have been ineligible uh, to uh, to sign. That's what, what ended up happening, you know, to Wade. And um, so um, I uh, I just basically, you know, I, I tried to train, you know, but at the same time, like, okay, I knew I needed to rest a little bit from my season, you know, throwing wise but I had to stay in somewhat shape because if they signed me, you know, to go to short season ball or go to the fall league, you know, that's what it kept. It kept being like, well, it might happen next week or it might happen next week. And so it wasn't like you just hang out and enjoy yourself, but it also wasn't like you're really, you know, getting ready for something because there wasn't anything to get ready for. And uh, so it, it was, it, it was not great. And, um, but uh, it is what it is. And, the reason I even bring it up is, is I do think it had something to do the, the way that that went and then signing and going directly to major league camp when I'm obviously trying to impress everybody and hopefully try to make a team. Um, I think had a lot to do with the reason that I had, I had, uh, you know, elbow problems. I really do. Were you healthy when you went to high a, like, did your arm feel good or was it barking already and you pitched through it? Yeah. I mean, there it's, 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 you know, I don't think my arms felt perfect. And, you know, uh, since I was, you know, 12 years old, I mean, you're it's just always going to have a little something, but yeah, I mean, I could tell. And like I said, I think it had a lot to do with the fact that I, I had such a long layoff and then went right to big league camp and, you know, I didn't say what they want to, but, um, I'm not going to, you know, pace myself. I'm, I'm trying to impress these guys because in my naive way of thinking, um, 
I may have a chance to make this team, you know, and be pitching with Tom Glavin and Pedro Martinez and Billy Wagner. And, you know, like I've got to show them something because I don't want to go to minor league camp. Um, and uh, I just didn't know any better. And um, so, yeah, I think it was already, I was already not at full strength. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it definitely wasn't, wasn't feeling great, but you don't want to, you don't want to be the guy that signs and then says, Hey, by the way, I'm, I don't feel good. Like, uh, you know, they just gave me a lot of money. You know, if I'm a little bit sore, I'm going to go out there and pitch, you know, that's just the way I was. And, um, so, you know, uh, kind of pitched through some pain and then got to the point where, you know, it wasn't really functional. I wasn't going to be able to pitch through it. Um, it was, I would go in from the, you know, between innings and it's my, my elbows visibly swollen um, and so at that point, it's like, we need to, we need to get this looked at. You, you know, what runs through your head when they're like TJ? Um, well, I went and saw, I saw a doctor in New York was, uh, I can't blank on his name. He was the Mets team doctor, very highly qualified surgeon. He recommended that I have Tommy John. Um, I told him, uh, or told the team that I wanted to get a second opinion so I went and saw Dr. Andrews in Birmingham and um, I was hoping he would have some, something else to, to say, cause I didn't really want to uh, have to miss a year or longer. And um, he had the same exact diagnosis and basically probably 48 hours later, I was on the operating table and, you know, it's kind of like at that time, you know, Tommy John was, was not in its infancy. Um, but it, it certainly wasn't as common as it is now, um, you know, where you see high school kids and younger, you know, having Tommy John almost as a, a preemptive measure. <laughs> uh, and uh, so it, it was it was like, you, you know, they tell you that, you know, we've followed all we have all this data and, you know, 80 something percent of the, the guys that had this surgery come back at, to at least the level that they were previously. Well, I think a lot, way a lot of people interpret that is you, you get all of your stuff back. And what they really mean when they say they get to the same level, they compete at the same level, right? So I was in high A ball. Um, so in order to be one of those 80%, all I had to do was get back to high A ball and pitch in a game. Well, I was probably going to do that. And, you know, I did, but um, I never, um, I say never, I, I don't think until very much later uh, in my career did I ever have anything close to the same uh, velocity and ability to spin the ball that I did, you know, prior to the surgery. And that's, that's just my case. Was it something you'd notice on a pitch? Like you go to reach back for something and you could like feel it like this is not there. Or was it just like the result, like for some reason, the ball's not doing what it used yeah, to. Yeah. The ball's just not coming out of your hand like it used to. And then there's a, probably a wide variety of, of factors for that. But like, for me, like when, when I say, and this probably sounds like I'm, you know, really bitter about the, these things. I'm, I'm, I'm not. Um, it's just the fact the way things went, I took, you know, from June to January, literally without, you know, pitching in a game and then go to spring training. And that's when, you know, my first games are, and I pitch in what, 12, 13 games. And then I take another 13 or 14 months off. And it's kind of like, 
it's kind of like riding a bike, you know, like, yeah, you're able to get back on the bike and ride it. You know, when you've taken a big long break from it, you don't forget how to ride it. Um, but if you're, you know, a BMX racer and you take two or three years off, you're probably not going to be doing double back flips. You know, you, you lose that, you know, um, some of that feel. And, um, and that's, that is what happened for me. Um, but it was pretty obvious when you would look at the radar gun readings, I mean, um, went from being a, a 93, 94, 95 guy to now I'm having to really grunt, you know, to get, to get a 91 or 92. And so that's, it, it changes the way that you're able to pitch because, you know, sitting up there and throwing 94 mile an hour fastballs, you're not just going to blow it by everybody but you get away with a lot more mistakes than you do at 91, you know? And so it's just a different, it's a different type of, uh, of game. And it took me a long time to get over my ego, um, you know, to where I used to be this guy that could go out there and tell you what's coming and you're still going to have a hard time hitting it. So now I'm just a guy with an, you know, an average fastball and an average breaking ball. And so in order for me to get you out, I've got to set you up and I've got to really put these pitches in perfect locations. Otherwise I don't have the stuff to really, you know, dominate, you know, a hitter. Um, and it took me a long time to get over that, uh, mentality. Um, you know, because I wanted to be that guy, like I told you, like Justin Verlander, um, the type of pitcher that he was, well, that's the type of pitcher that I was at one time. Um, when, you know, we're, when we're juniors in college, we're very similar type pitchers. He may have had a couple of ticks on the, on the radar gun over me. Um, but as far as the way that we pitched, there wasn't anything different. And then all of a sudden we go into pro ball and I get hurt. Um, now it's, it's a different, I'm pitching in a different, uh, uh, you know, game uh, than what I was used to. I'm playing a different type of game than what I was used to. And you had the confidence before the surgery of you're mm-hmm. thinking, you know, I, I'm going to make this team post-surgery. You're back in about a year. Stuff's not the same. You still throw up good results. You're on the 40, you get those two big league innings. Yeah. Was the, the confidence, like even, even though you said you had to deal with kind of the ego of not being that guy, did you still have the same kind of confidence of that yeah. guy of thinking that 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 stuff's just going to fly wherever. I, I think I had the confidence in that I'm going to figure this out. Right. So, and, and, uh, in short bursts, I could, I still had some of that same, you know, giddy up. Um, but then when I went back, you know, the next year went to new Orleans and now I'm actually pitching a full season and in, in the starting rotation. And, um, really it's the first time I've experienced the, that, that grind of pro ball and, and, and being a, a starting pitcher and building those innings, you know, um, for six, seven months, um, you know, that's probably when it kind of set in for me, like, man, like it's not coming back. Like, I just thought like, well, the farther I get from surgery and the, and the more that I, you know, train and, 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 and the more innings I build up then it start, it's going to start to come back. And it just didn't. And, um, it was frustrating, um, very, uh, frustrating for me, uh, to, to go from, being a guy, like you said, with a lot of confidence and, and, and now I'm a guy that's like, man, like, cause then you start hearing the whispers, you know, like even from, you know, not, not in a bad way from your teammates, but like, you know, this is our first round pick and he throws 91 miles an hour. 
you know, what's he's a, he's a right-handed pitcher. You know, we've got a dozen guys that do that. Like what's, what's special about this guy. And you want to, it's, it's hard, especially when you're a, a very high pick like that to not want to live up to some of that hype. And um, I definitely fell into that trap, you know, trying, you know, it probably, um, I wasted a lot of time and energy trying to live up to that hype rather than just saying, okay, this is what I've got. You know, how do I become the best pitcher with this stuff and, and quit trying to find that stuff that I, that I used to have. How long did that take to really, to come to acceptance of I'm not frontline guy? Yeah, probably. I think when it really kind of hit me, um, you know, the, the twins, um, designated me for assignment, you know, I've been traded for Johan Santana. They designate me for assignment. I remember having the meeting with, with, uh, Guardy, you know, he called me in the office. It was about two weeks into the season. I made the team call me in the office that, Hey, we're, you know, we're, we're going to take you off the roster, but I'm sure somebody will claim you, you know, you're not, you're not going to go through unclaimed. And so I, th- I was like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm still a prospect. And I go through unclaimed and then I, you know, I'm going back to Rochester, um, the twins, triple a and, uh, off the 40 man. And, uh, all of a sudden, used to be a prospect. Now you're suspect, you know, that's kind of the the way people talk about it. And, and that's kind of when it hit me, it's like, okay, do I want to keep doing this? First off, do I want to keep playing? And if I do, I've got to change something like something's got to be different. I ended up going to, um, going to Puerto Rico to play winter ball and, um, and was pitching well down there, but I had to, there was an old Puerto Rican gentleman came and sat next to me in the dugout. He was a scout. And, um, he was like, man, when you're, when you're young, people are trying to figure out what's, what all is good about you. And once you get to the age you're at now, which at that time I was, you know, 26, 27 years old, we're trying to figure out what's wrong with you. So he's like, you're the one that's got to figure that out. And, um, whatever, whatever it's going to take for you to be a major league pitcher, that's what you need to do. You need to quit worrying about being a prospect. You need to quit worrying about the radar gun you need to figure out how am I going to become a successful major league pitcher? And so that's when I, you know, I was like, okay, well then that's what I'm going to have to do. This is the stuff I've got. I'm going to figure out how I can get guys out with this stuff. And that meant, you know, being a guy that didn't walk people meant being a guy that kept the ball down, was able to pitch in and out, change speeds. Um, I knew I wasn't going to strike a ton of guys out, but I tried to keep the ball on the ground because I found out of just looking like I wasn't, a big statistics guy, but like you just kind of see trends. Okay. The games where I keep the ball in the ballpark, I tend to do well. So if I can try to figure out a way to do that, um, you know, and, and most of that was kind of going back to that same approach we talked about when pitching in Omaha against Stanford, you know, you start pitching backwards, you know, instead of trying to overpower guys in, in those types of situations, you take something off and, um, I, you know, just started doing that and, and um, started getting some better results, you know, in, in, in the minor leagues. And then, then eventually got, got an opportunity with, uh, with, with the White Sox. And, um, you know, that, that's probably when I was fully bought in was just, Hey, this is the stuff I've got and, and I know how to use it. Some sage advice from that scout. I want to, I want to jump back real quick to, to when you were a prospect to that trade you mentioned. 
Um, you know, February 1st of 2008, I'm 16 years old. Life is good because I'm a Twins fan and we have Johan Santana. <laughs> Next day, no longer have Johan Santana. You're part and of you're that like, And you're like, who are these guys? <laughs> yeah, start, get on, get on uh, early Google, start looking. But you, with that package, you are the closest to the big leagues. You're, you've already made it. So a lot of times with these big trades, you know, low A, you know, prospects, guys in A ball, in a couple of years, fans have forgotten. But because it's a pitcher, because you're, you know, you're, a, you're, you're already a major leaguer. You're already on the 40. Like you're expected to contribute a little quicker. With you and just prospects in general, what is that kind of outlook? How much does it matter when who you're traded for, what you were traded for, the, the circumstances of that, when a fan base has traded just their best pitcher ever and just completely devastated 16-year-old me? Yeah. So I don't think I've fully appreciated it until um, until I got to spring training at Fort Myers. Um, I think the trade had happened like in December or so. Um, and, uh, you know, it's like, wow, you know, we sent the Mets sent four guys, got one back and they're having to pay that one. They got, you know, hundred and something million dollars. So um, I'm sure the twins are hoping at least one of us pans out. Um but, uh, you know, I kind of went into it thinking, okay, this is a, a fresh opportunity for me. That's obviously I'm thinking about, you know, how this is going to affect my career. Show up in spring training. They happened to give me the same locker that Johan had had, you know. And, oh, my um, God. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, it, it was – and I didn't know that, that to be the case until the reporters start, you know, asking these questions and mentioning that and – um, it, it just, it seemed to be like a topic of conversation, like every day. And, um, I was like, man, Johan was, he was a big deal. <laughs> and, uh, and I mean, I, obviously I knew he was a great pitcher, but you just didn't appreciate because I wasn't part of the twins or, you know, watching them all the time, how big of a deal he was to that fan base and even the organization. And, um, so yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was tough. Um, you know, you had a lot to live up to, but still it, it didn't factor into how I performed. I didn't go out there with extra pressure on me because I had been traded for Johan. It just made it a little bit worse. You know, when I didn't perform well, I think it, it made people in, in Minnesota uh, dislike me just a, a little bit more <laughs> just uh, because of what they had given up for, for, uh, for that group. Well, the good thing I think now with, with, how much more educated baseball fans are on, on the business of the sport and that now all that anger is just, is just geared toward ownership sure. for, uh, you sure. had this, you had yep. Johan, you didn't pay him. And then you traded Carlos Gomez. That's right. Too early. That's so, right. Just a, just a comedy of errors. Uh, but you mentioned 2011, you land with the white Sox, your first long extended look in the big leagues, finally get that shot to, to really go out there every day. And your manager is Ozzie Guillen. Day to day, how much of a wild card is that guy? Like as a starter, how much interaction do you have with him on a day to day to day basis? He was awesome to me. Um, I, you know, you hear all these stories, and obviously, I was a baseball fan, so I, I knew a little bit about uh, you know what what went along with him. But a lot of it, uh, I think that what Ozzy was was doing uh, was for the media, and I think his method was if he can get the media focused on him then it lets the players concentrate on what they need to do. And, um, and I think it worked for the most part. 
Um, I think anytime someone is in a, an organization for, for that long, uh, you eventually, it's like brothers, you're eventually going to have, you know, conflict. And I think that's, you know, what, what ended up happening. Um, but man, as far as how he treated me, um, I could not have had a better experience. Um, he was, uh, so gracious to me and, uh, you know, a guy that was a journeyman, um, you know, there was a spot in that rotation open, uh, because Jake Peavy had, had gotten hurt and, uh, Ozzy chose to give me that opportunity. And even when Jake came back, because I had pitched really well, um, Ozzy was basically like, I'm not taking him out of the rotation. We'll just go with six. And, uh, so I'll never forget that. And, um, you know, I, I remember when, when, you know, he, at the end of that season, he, he was leaving or whatever. And, and, um, you know, it was, it was, it was a bad time, you know, obviously it wasn't, wasn't real, uh, acrimonious, um, the way that, that he had to leave. But, uh, I remember telling him, I, I made a point to go up to him and say, man, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate the opportunity you've given me, um, you know, to live my dream because it had taken, you know, I'd been up and down in the big leagues for five years in a row and not ever stuck. And, um, you know, so I, I was probably more appreciative, um, at that time in my life than I, than I would have been, you know, as a 23 year old that's getting their first shot. I mean, I, I knew what it was to, to, uh, to get there and then have to go back to the minor leagues. And, and so to be able to get there and stay for a full season and, and, and all of that. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll always have great things to say about, about Ozzy Gian. The main guy behind the dish on those teams, uh, AJ Brzezinski, the, the winner of the 2012 men's journal survey for baseball's most hated player. Uh, I, th- I think he has a reputation of being that guy that love him when he's on your team. Don't like him as much when he's on the other team kind of guy. You're trying to that season, you're trying to get your footing in the show. How do you keep, kind of keep your agency on the hill when you've got this veteran catcher been there, done that might assume he knows it all potentially rough around the edges. What is working with that when for all intents and purposes, you're kind of a rookie when it comes to pitching in the big leagues. Yeah. So, um, AJ, I'll say this, it's almost like the same thing. I mean, you take what I just said about Ozzy and, and just repeat it. I mean, he, um, he treated me so well. Um, he was one of my favorite teammates uh, because, uh, you know, he didn't care if you had 20 years in the big leagues or it was your first day. He was going to treat everybody the same. And, um, you know, he he played hard. Um, he played hurt. Um, and I respected that about him. Uh, he didn't uh, – a lot of catchers, you know, getaway days, they're not going to play. I mean, if – if AJ's name was in the lineup, he's going to play and um, he's going to give you everything he's got. Um, you know, and he, I thought his, his probably his biggest strength as a defensive catcher um, was just his ability to read hitters. And he had been around the league for so long that he knew most of the hitters, you know, where to pitch them, how to pitch them. And um, so I never had to, you know, really do a whole lot of thinking um, when he was back there because I knew he was going to call the correct pitch. It was a matter of me executing um, what he called. And uh, so we 
we worked really well together. Now he gave me a lot of grief. Um, and uh, eventually I got to the point where I felt comfortable giving him some of it back, but, um, we had a really good relationship and, um, you know, I enjoyed, I enjoyed the heck out of playing with, with AJ. All right. April 21st, 2012. Time to, uh, time, time talk. I am sure. But I guess my first question, how many times have you had to talk about this game on the record in some form or fashion? Pretty, pretty often. Um, it's, I mean, and I don't blame people because it's, um, it's, it's, it's rare. And <laughs> so it's, it's probably the most interesting thing that happened to me as a professional. So, uh, but yeah, pr- pretty often it does come up. All right. So go ahead walk me through all 27 outs pitch by pitch. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's not, <laughs> uh, the, the one thing, so the, with that lineup, I just wanted to, loaded with lefties or switch hitters the first five mm-hmm. batters against you from the left side do you know the first five hmm sean figgins dustin ackley mm-hmm. ichiro mm-hmm. seager mm-hmm. montero no Oliva. First baseman. First baseman. I don't know. Smoke. Ah, oh, yes. I should know that. I faced him a lot. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So kind of the same thing I asked the, in the Stanford game kind of way back when. When it got down to the last nine outs, you at that point you probably know you're perfect. Which one worried you the most? You had to run through all of them at least one more time. Mm, I would say, I mean, each row – because there's there's so many different ways he can get on base. You know, he, he's fast enough he can lay down a bunt, you know, and, and he's so good with his hands that even if he is a little out front, you know, he can he can still uh he can still beat you. So probably Ichiro. Um how, how do you pitch that guy? Well like there's really no one like him. Yeah, so the, the way that I approached him that day. And I'm not sure if I faced him a whole lot outside of just that day. Um, but it seemed to me like you, you could kind of run stuff like chase, chase him down toward his feet. Um, because if you threw him something soft away, like I said, he was so good at keeping his hands back and that's almost like playing, playing into his swing. Um, I felt like you kind of had to, that, that hard little slider, like down toward his back foot was the way to get him out. Now getting to that position was, was the hard part. Like, um, because you get in a pattern with, with a guy that's that good and accomplished, he's going to, he's going to figure you out. So you kind of have to, kind of have to mix your speeds, mix your locations. And then when you have a chance to, to, like I said, run it, run it down there, I think that's, that's the place to get him. But if you leave it over the plate, then, then he's going to hurt you. But that's the same with a a lot of major league hitters. There's a way to get them out, but you better not miss. All these no nos and perfect games have, you know, lucky bounces, things things that just break your way that in other games would break them up or something like that. Is there anything about that game that kind of like will wake you up in a cold sweat sometimes besides that last swing? Just like something that you're like, man, I'm so glad that went my way. No. Because um, like the pinnacle is the Dwayne Wise catch for Burley's. Right. Which is yeah. just like one of the greatest catches Crazy, of all time. Right? And, yeah. yeah. Well, there, there was a couple of good plays made in that game. Um, one being. Alex Rios in right field chasing the ball down. And he, the way he was such a graceful athlete that a lot of, uh, 
you know, that catch he made looked pretty easy, but there's probably a lot of guys that don't even come close to, to making that catch. And, and then another one was um, Kyle Seeger hit a ball down the left field line that, that Brent Lillibridge ran and got. And then, you know, the one that probably surprised me that I was not a great fielding pitcher. Um, and uh, so I actually had to field one of, I, th- I think it was maybe in the seventh inning, uh, maybe the sixth inning it was the last out of the inning, whatever it was. And, Guy laid down a bunt, like a drag bunt. I had to field it, make a good throw to first, was able to do that. So that's probably the most surprising play just because I, 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 wasn't, I wasn't the best fielding pitcher out there. How'd that game change your life for better or worse? Mm, I don't know. Um, you know, it, it, um, at the time, I, I felt like it, it was uh, kind of a redemption or, or, you know, just kind of a, that, that 2011 season seemed like, okay, I'm finally getting established in, in the big leagues and, you know, but you still have, you know, doubts or, you know, people that aren't so sure. And um, so to have that happen, the second start of 2012 was kind of like, okay, I'm not just okay. Like I can, I can actually dominate a game, you know, and, and, and be that one of those kind of guys. Um. So it, it was, uh, that's how I felt about it at the time. Um, I think, uh, I think it was a little bit of a, a double-edged sword. Um, just the way that I handled the aftermath. I think I probably, um, it was like almost like over again with being a first round pick and, and then having that hype to live up to, it was kind of like, um, I felt like I needed to prove that I almost deserved to have thrown a perfect game or, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, I think some people were like, who is that guy? You know? And, and um, I wanted to, to prove that it wasn't a fluke, you know, that I was actually a really good pitcher. And, um, and so it kind of, when you do start to have a little bit of failure, you probably grind a little bit too hard um, instead of just letting the game kind of come to you. And so, I know it doesn't make any sense and I, I'm not sure that I understand it, but um, yeah, I, I don't know that it, it definitely changed, changed a little bit uh, perspective. I think it makes a lot of sense because yeah. that one game makes you, that game makes you immortal. You're on that, you're on that very short baseball list. But unlike when you talked about you, you win that national championship game and you were like, you know, there's no game after this, whatever you got to pitch again in five days. Yeah. Like yeah. baseball, baseball moves, moves really quick. And for one day you were immortal and remembered forever, but you have to keep going. Mm-hmm. And then that's, you know, you, you're on Letterman and Obama calls and like mm-hmm. stuff like that. And you have to keep, you have to get major league hitters out in five days. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was a lot going on. I mean, I had, um, you know, my son was born, 10 days after that. And so, Oh my gosh. So like you just yeah. had like the, the yeah. wildest. So it's all downhill from there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> in a lot of yeah, ways. I mean, it, so it was, now you're tired. Yeah. It was, it was really, uh, it was a lot to take in. And, um, you know, like I said, it, it was one of those deals where, um, I'm, I'm thankful that, uh, that happened. Uh, I don't think it's something anybody plans on going out. Maybe no one Ryan did, maybe Randy Johnson did, you know, I'm, I'm going to go out here and throw a no hitter, but for a guy like me, it was not, 
even on my radar. I'd never thrown, I don't think I'd thrown eight innings complete in the big leagues before that day. And, um, you know, so it was just, it was a lot of things that fell into place. Um, but I knew that there was like a whole climb just to get myself an opportunity to be on a major league field, you know, and you, you have to get to that point to give yourself that opportunity. Right. So it was, it was a real struggle uh, for me to do that. And so I was, you know, it was almost like, man, you know, mom, we made it, you know, it's kind of like one of those moments where you're like, yeah, this is what it's like to really, really do something. And, um, you know, after all that, you know, fighting and clawing and, and stuff like that, but it was pretty neat though. Still, I never got to go to the playoffs as a, as a professional. Um, but having the, a dog pile in a regular season game, pretty cool. I mean, having, having guys that have seen a lot, um, you know, talk about that game as one of their favorites uh, was was pretty neat. You're claimed by the Astros after that season. You, next year, you split time between AAA and the big leagues, the pen and the rotation. You're 30. You've you've won a national championship. You've been a first round pick. You've you know you've gotten some time in the big leagues. You made a little bit of money. What did you want out of baseball at that point, heading into your 30s? Well, I think it, it's it's hard to say, man. Like I when that when that season went the way that it did after that perfect game. And, and I obviously knew my time in Chicago was probably over having that opportunity in Houston. It seemed like, man, like, okay, this is a cool spot to like get things back started and go back to the place. I've had a lot of success and um, be closer to home. And uh, so I was really pumped about it. And then when it went bad, um, you know, we were, we were a bad team. I think, we were a bad team on purpose, you know, obviously looking back how they, you know, tore down, you know, that, that franchise and it worked for them. I mean, obviously um, it, it definitely worked, um, but it's tough, man. Like when you're struggling in, individually, um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard. It, it's probably even harder to do that when, when you're on a, a team that pretty much everybody is, you know, and so you go to the ballpark every day and you're hoping to win but you're probably not expecting to win just because, you know, you've won, you know, 10 out of your last 50, you know, kind of thing. And um, so it's a what tough are the wins environment. Like on a team like that, like you guys are, you guys are tanking everyone, you know, everyone yeah, knows that, that it's tough, front office man. is making this team tank. Are wins still good? Oh yeah, they are. And they're probably more appreciated than, than, than they are on some teams, but um, it's just different, man. Um, it's not, it's not fun. It's not fun. It's not fun to be bad at anything. Even if you're getting paid really well to do it, it's not fun to be bad at anything. And um, uh, certainly not uh, something that you've worked really hard to be good at, um, to go out there and, and not be able to perform the way that you want to. And so uh, it was not fun. And, uh, you know, everybody there that puts on a uniform takes a lot of pride in what they're doing. But like I said, we just didn't have, um, we didn't have enough, you know, horses, so to speak. And, and, um, so, you know, we're, unfortunately we were going to lose a lot of games and, um, does the clubhouse, do you guys talk about that? Cause like now, especially with these negotiations ongoing, it's a big thing about teams tanking and the Orioles just, no, I, I think everybody knew, everybody knew that our payroll was really low, but you're a competitor. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, you, 
I don't care who I'm going out there with and, and, you know, and, um, you know, we're going out there to try to win. That's, and that's, that's the attitude that, I mean, you wouldn't be a professional if you didn't have that attitude, but looking back on it, it's easier to have a different perspective now because you can kind of see like, man, we just, we didn't have, you know, enough talent in that clubhouse to, to do a whole lot. Um, but there's no like frustration with the front office being like, Hey, pay some more guys, get us some help, that sort of thing. Probably from, from some of the guys, but then you have guys like me that if they start doing that, then there may be not so many opportunities, you know? So, <laughs> no, so man, some of things us are, are good. You know, things are good. We'll yeah, figure it out. You're, you're thankful for that opportunity, no matter how it comes. And so that's kind of how I looked at it. And, uh, but at the same time, like as a long season goes by and, uh, you're just getting beat, getting beat, getting beat. Um, and it does, it does wear on you a lot. And, uh, and so uh, for me, probably by the end of that season, but you asked what I wanted out of baseball, I, I probably felt like I had given enough of myself to baseball. Like I just, I didn't know if there was any more of me to just keep on trying to climb that mountain that it just didn't seem like it was going to work. And so that's kind of where I was by the end of that season. Um, I was just so fed up with, with failure, um, pure and simple. You do the season in Korea, and then what was the the linchpin in deciding that I'd I'd had enough? It was time to hang them up. Yep. So I went to Korea, and um, really bad experience there uh, for performance wise. Um, I mean, being there in Korea was awesome. The people are great, um, great baseball environment. Um, but uh, I got started on the wrong foot, and, and never did get on the right foot. Um, I could give you plenty of excuses, but uh, I won't do that. So um, I get back from that. They had basically released me during the middle of the season. And, uh, you know, I get back home. And like you said, I think at that time I was, what, 32, 33 years old. You kind of, you know, I had at that time a, a son and my son was about to start school. And, um, you know, I wasn't a guy that had made hundred million dollars playing ball. So, um, I've got to, if I'm going to stop playing baseball, I got to figure out what's next. I'm not going to just retire. Um, and so it was kind of one of those deals where you think, okay, do I, am I really done with it? Cause I don't want to, I don't want to get done with it and then wish I had another chance. And so, uh, you know, I remember praying about it. My, my wife and I had a lot of long talks about what I wanted to do and, I eventually decided I wanted to go play winter baseball in the Dominican um, and just see if I had anything left, like let myself get healthy, go out there and just, you know, not even, not even worry about what the results are. Just say, you know what, let's see, let's see if there's anything left. And, and mostly what I was wanting to see is, is there any more of that drive? Is there any more of that desire to hey, fight through this and, and keep going? And um, man, I had a lot of fun. Um, I pitched really well and, um, you know, the Padres came and, and, um, wanted, wanted me to come to big league camp and, and, uh, compete for a spot. And so, you know, I was like, let's do it. And, but I, I pretty much, you know, in my mind, I'd never really voiced this to anybody else, but in my mind, I went to that spring training knowing if I don't make this team, I'm not getting back on the bus. I'm not, I'm not going back to, to triple a, like I, I want to play baseball you know, I've, this is what I've done my whole life. Um, but 
in order to do this, I'm sacrificing some things. I'm not going to see my, you know, son doing the things that he's doing. You know, I'm going to be carrying on a relationship with my wife over the phone and not being present for, for a lot of the, the big events in life. And, and so if I'm going to do that, then I'm going to need to be compensated really well for that. And that's going to be me being in the big leagues. And um, so had a good spring training. They called me in and said, Hey, you know, we think there's going to be opportunity during the season, but we need you to go down to, you know, AAA and, and start there. And I just said, I'm not willing to do that. And so I appreciate the opportunity. And that was, it was about a 10 minute meeting and um, that was it. And I didn't really know what I was going to do next. I knew I needed to finish my degree, but I didn't know, didn't know what was going to be after that. I just knew I had to figure out a, a way to get, get some income. <laughs> how, as a retired athlete, like, how do you, you know, how do you go about that? Like what, I mean, we're, we connected on LinkedIn. I know what you do mm-hmm. now, but how did, how did, uh, like, how do you go from, I've been a baseball player for uh, essentially, you know, your entire life. That's been your thing to, I need to shift gears. Yeah. So uh, ability to throw things does not, you know, you don't see that on a lot of the, the, the job requirements on, <laughs> on, uh, on LinkedIn. Um, so, you know, being an athlete, there are some things that, that overlap to other careers, um, being competitive, being willing to, to, to work hard, being willing to uh, be a part of a team. You know, there's, there's all these different things that you can say, well, that, that overlaps. But at the same time, you have zero experience with, you know, an actual job. Um, and so, and that was me. So, uh, you know, first thing, I had to go back to school. Fortunately, uh, you know, part of my degree was doing internships. And I knew that, you know, I had enough experience in professional sports. So if I wanted to do uh, something in, you know, baseball or, you know, an, another, you know, sport or being a coach, something like that, I didn't need to go intern in that type of a field. I said, I need to go get some experience doing something else that maybe I'm interested in that. And so I ended up interning for, um, a, a commercial construction company. Um, I'd always been interested in construction, didn't know a thing about it. Um, learned a ton uh, about it that summer and then went back to school, finished up my degree and uh, ended up uh, going back to work for the same uh, developer and, and learning a lot more um, uh, about the construction and then also the real estate side of it. And found out that, that a, a lot of the things that um, I enjoyed about baseball and, and uh, especially being a pitcher where a lot of, it depends on you. You kind of have to eat what you kill. Uh, very similar to what I do now um, in real estate. Um, and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a different, it's a different way to compete. Um, and, um, but it, there's a lot of things I miss about uh, playing, playing baseball but I don't miss being away from my family and, and doing that whole part of it. Um, there's not any of me that, that misses the life on the road or, you know, um, riding those buses and, you know, it, I miss the actual competition, the actual games, the actual, you know, that sort of thing. And then also like training and, and competing for a common goal. You know, like I said, that that's, you know, it's hard to replicate that outside of sports. Um, you know, business, there, there are some similarities to it. Um, but, but nothing exactly like that to where, you know, if we all come together and, and we, we get this done, 
you know, we're going to dogpile here in the office. That's not, it's not, not, I don't think that's ever happened. So it's an HR um, violation. It's yeah, it's a, it's a little different uh, playing field, but, um, but yeah, so I, I don't have, I don't look back and say, man, um, you know, I, there's nothing I regret because I know I gave everything that I had. There's things I would do different had I had a different, um, some, some different uh, information um, that's what I think is so cool about what, what the, the kids, and I say this cause I have one, um, what they have now, like even with just YouTube being able to watch over and over a guy that you, you know, want to emulate. Um, and then all the information that's out there with, you know, the track man and the rap Soto and the force plates and all of that. Um, it, it's really cool. And I wish I'd had that stuff. Um, but like I said, I don't have any regrets because I did the most I possibly could. I know I got everything that I could out of myself with the information that I had in front of me. So if you could go back and give a pep talk to 21-year-old you right after you signed, what does that pep talk look like? Probably the pep talk had to do with don't worry about the homers you just gave up to, to end your season. That was what I was probably most uh, most devastating uh, and then getting drafted to go right after that. But um, no, I, I think uh, the pep talk would be enjoy it while you can because it, it's going to be over sooner than you think. And, um, you know, that's what I tell my son. Like, man, everyone's going to have to quit at some point or somebody's going to tell you that you're no longer necessary. Um, so enjoy every minute that you have um, playing this game uh, or doing whatever you're doing because it will be over, you know, sooner than you think um for for one reason or the other you got a quick rapid fire for you and then i'll let you get out of here okay favorite college ballpark not reckling or rosenblatt mm. well i got one for you so um what do they call it uh the love shack in ruston louisiana louisiana <laughs> oh, tech uh, yeah yes yes that's a good one underrated Shout out tech yeah uh favorite minor league ballpark <laughs> there's so many to choose from i've played in all of them pretty much um <laughs> man i'm gonna say round rock it's hard to beat it's hard to beat del diamond i am pretty sure that is back-to-back wins for del diamond in <laughs> this in this uh little uh mm-hmm. rapid fire favorite big league ballpark fenway can't can't argue with it best hitter you ever faced I, i'm a, it's a tie so miguel cabrera in his prime he he was the he at that time he was the best the best hitter I've ever faced was Ken Griffey Jr. But he wasn't in his prime when I faced him. So goat. Yep. Last question. Everyone gets this one. Do you have a nightmare bus ride story from the minor leagues? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, there's so many. Uh, yes. So Rochester, New York. We're leaving to go to. Uh, I believe we're playing in Toledo, which is probably a four hour ish trip. Um, we're coming off a doubleheader, um, middle of summer. Everyone's hot. Everyone's tired. Uh, we get about 45 minutes outside of Rochester bus breaks down. Uh, so we're sitting there with no AC 90 degrees outside. Um, they tell us they're, they're going to send another bus, um, Three hours later, the other bus shows up and, um, and we make our way to 
to Toledo. There's others, but I mean, it, it, none of it's fun, but man, when you're, when you're just having to sit there, um, it's, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty aggravating. It really, really brings you back to, to where you're at. (laughs) Sit there and sit there and reflect. Yeah. Just reflect on how life's going. Philip Umber, that's all I've got for you. Thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate you coming up from Phenom on the Farm. All right. Thanks, Kyle. And that's it for today's episode of From Phenom to the Farm. Huge thanks for Philip Umber talking by. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe wherever you get your podcast and tune in in two weeks where we're talking to Dallas Braden, another guy who threw a perfect game. We'll catch you then. New year, new credit scores. Chime makes it easier to build credit by using your own money to make on-time payments with a secured Chime Credit Builder Visa credit card. Use it everywhere Visa credit cards are accepted. To apply, just open a Chime checking account with a qualifying direct deposit. There's no annual fee or credit check required when applying. Get started at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. The Chime Credit Builder Visa credit card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Late payment may negatively impact your credit score. Results may vary.